in the grand tradition of our blockbuster events, Crisis Till Death and Death Till Wedding, the podcast returns to the Triangle Era for the infamous Electric Superman saga, Grant Morrison's legendary JLA, and Superman's TV depictions on the animated series and Lois and Clark. This is Electric Till One Million, a new eight-part epic covering 1997 through 1999. Welcome to Digging for Kryptonite, a Superman fan journey. I'm your host, Anthony Desiato. This is Electric Till One Million, Part 2. And joining me to discuss the Electric Superman saga is one of the hosts of the Dollar Bin Bandits podcast and a returning guest, Joe Marcello. Welcome back. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to have you. This is our big blockbuster event as we revisit the Triangle era. Last time, last week, I had Bernie here, and we talked about essentially the first half of 1997 in the Triangle era. So we started with that power struggle arc where Superman had to get his powers back after losing them in Final Night. Of course, they threw him in the sun, solved all his problems, as it always does. And then we followed the Man of Steel as his powers started to change as he started demonstrating these, these energy capabilities and was losing his physical form. And Emil Hamilton and Kitty Faulkner and Contessa, they all worked together to create this containment suit that gave birth to Electric Superman, kickstarting a somewhat infamous period in the character's history. And now with you, we are going to look at the second half of 1997 and the very beginning of 1998, stopping just short of the point where Superman splits into red and blue. That will be the, the subject for a later episode, so we're getting there. And in a moment, I'll give the the layout of, of all of the issues that we read. I'll give the rundown of the, the titles and numbers, and we'll talk about the, the specifics, of course. But I'll start with the big picture question, the same question that I posed to Bernie last week, because I'm, I'm, I'm always curious, but especially when we're talking about something like Electric Superman, what was your original reaction to this change in the status quo when it was originally happening back in the day? And then with now the benefit of time and distance and perspective, knowing how, how it all turned out, how, how have you typically viewed this story in, in retrospect? Initially, at the time when uh, this was about to come out, I was very excited for it um, because, you know, one, I was in college at the time and comics was, comics were my thing to kind of escape from everything else. So I would, you know, just on my downtime, I'd be reading comics and that's how I escaped everything. Heard about this and I was excited because I was like, cool, I'm on the ground floor you know, I can get in on a major comic event because the one, you know, the only major comic book event prior to this was Death of Superman. That happened before I was in comics and I was catching up. So I was very excited um, when they came out. You know, I got the glow in the dark issue. Um, later, years later, I got a signed version of it. So I was very excited for it. And I remember getting into it and I was like, this is neat, but I wanted more. Like it just, it seemed like it fell a little flat for me. Um, they dragged out a lot of it, you know, that probably they could have really just kind of um, hammered it home, like with maybe one or two issues, like him getting used to his powers. Like, I think you could have just had one or two issues for that rather than sprinkling in little nuggets of it 
oh, well, I can't really do that. I hope I can phase in time, you know, that type of stuff. Um, looking back, I, I thought it was, it, it was a, dare I say, a dark period in the Superman lore. Um, so, and again, the same thing happened when he split. I was like, oh, I thought they were going to lean into the personal, uh, the personality aspects that they at least told us about more so than they did. So, you know, it, they could have done, they could have, I think, go a lot deeper with uh, what they had, but they chose not to for some reason. In terms of what you just said and, and the little bit that we touched base about before I hit record, I, I think we're similarly aligned in terms of how how we're coming into this episode because I definitely had, I guess, somewhat of a moment of realization as I was making my way through this 28-issue reading assignment where I was like, you know, I'm enjoying myself overall. And I'll give my overall assessment and everything. But I, I definitely got to a point where I said, you know, I, I kind of see where this went a bit awry and 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 why maybe it garnered the reaction that it did and and has occupied the occupied the place that it has since then like i, I could kind of i could kind of see and i sort of had that moment where i said oh i think this is the issue that i'm having with it so it, it'll be interesting to talk about all of this and on that note let me share with our audience the issues that we read for this and of course i always put them in the show notes as well but i'll rattle them off here quickly just so everyone knows uh, what we're talking about so uh, again, triangle number-wise, we're talking about the second half of 97, first few issues of 98, but in terms of the actual series, Superman, 126 to 131 by Dan Jurgens and Ron Friends, Man of Steel, 70 to 76 by Louise Simonson, uh, Scott Eaton filled in as penciler for most of those issues, we had John Bogdana for, for a couple of them as well, Action Comics, 735 to 741, primarily by Dave Michelinie and Tom Grummet, Michelinie would leave towards the end of our reading assignment, and Stuart Immonen would shift over to Action Comics, taking over as writer and penciler. Uh, we also had Adventures of Superman, 548 to 554, primarily by Carl Kiesel and Stuart Immonen. After Immonen moves over to Action Comics, uh, Tom Grummet shifts over to Adventures, and we have the Kiesel-Grummet pairing again. Uh, and we also had one issue of the Quarterly Man of Tomorrow title, that was number nine, by Roger Stern and Paul Ryan. So that's what we covered for this reading assignment. Not unlike last week's episode, you know, last time we, we, like I said, we had that power struggle arc, which was a clearly delineated storyline with chapter numbers and everything. But with the exception of that, there weren't these big tentpole event storylines. Of course, everything falls under the umbrella of this electric Superman saga, but we didn't have things like the trial of Superman and the death of Clark Kent. And that continues here even more so. I mean, we, we do have, we definitely have a ton of, of subplots and everything that sort of, you know, weaves throughout. Uh, and we do have a few multi-part stories, but not, again, not to the level of, of these real, you know, really, uh, you know, clearly delineated storylines. So you're really just immersed in the supporting cast and the world of Metropolis for these issues, right? Yeah. And you know what? I'm fine with that. I would much rather just be in a comic series. I don't need major um, buildups to make, you know, as long as they're good, of course. Um, I, you know, I don't need a big event. You know, I, I would much rather have a good story arc within a series rather than building up to something big and 
another tie-in or something to that effect. Although there was one in this that the Genesis, um, I don't know what do you want to call that a. If it was one of those fifth week events, a la zero hour or final right, night, yeah. right? And I mean, how well do you, I did not reread the core Genesis miniseries. I definitely read it back in the day. I don't remember it particularly fondly, to be honest. I don't remember hating it or anything like that, but out of, out of those ones I just mentioned, zero hour really stands out. Final night remains right. very near and yeah. dear to me. I love that one. Yes. The Genesis one, I, I really could kind of take or leave. So I, I did not revisit that one, but yeah, we did get three issues uh, of the Superman titles that tied into that. So we, we did have that, that business going yeah. on. Yeah, it didn't, um, you know, the only thing that really um, I, I liked about that series back in the day is that, you know, you had the the new gods and, you know, anytime you kind of get them included, I, I like those because you don't, they're, they are characters that they didn't traditionally uh, break out frequently, uh, certainly not now. Um, so anytime you did, it kind of meant that something bigger was occurring. Um, and I guess at the time it was more discussion around the source wall and, you know, its place in the DC universe at the time. So yeah. Yes. No, very true. I, and I echo what you said. I I'm totally okay with not having these huge event storylines. And um, let me start with the positive here, because honestly, the thing that I enjoyed most about this reading assignment is something that I've said in virtually all of our triangle era episodes, because I really do think this is what sets this period apart. And that is the use of the supporting cast, the subplots, and this very lived in world of Metropolis that I feel it creates for us. There are certain points here, for example, when uh, Lex is trying to sort of distract the public from his upcoming trial. And he pulls some strings to get Bibbo Babowski's championship fight moved up, right? So all of the attention will be on that. Uh, and you have Jimmy Olsen teasing this uh, this big Superman story, uh, this, this big piece of information that he's going to reveal. We know that he thinks he's discovered Superman's secret identity. And of course, that, that all uh, falls apart for him. That's a big part <laughs> of, of these issues. But, you know, there, there are a lot of these things going on and, and we're checking in with a lot of the you know, the main settings and characters within the world of Metropolis. And again, it just felt like this very lived in world. And when you were on the show, you know, for the last time we did one of these big events, you know, I think one of the the episodes we did, we touched on, uh, you know, the, 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 the battle for Metropolis and fall of Metropolis and, and some of those bigger storylines where I felt like at that time, some of this kind of got lost in the shuffle because there was so much going on. So the fact okay. that we can spend the time with the characters uh, that to me was a highlight. So yeah, I was fine not having these big storylines and uh, I really just felt like I was I was pulled into the world and that's where I feel like this era is always at its best. Yeah, I I so rereading this, I would characterize this as very typical and I I will air quote this very typical and basic Superman slash metropolis because we're dealing with like you said the same settings and people that we have dealt with very frequently over the past as i i say over the past meeting you know as it pertains to these stories past few years bibbo lex you know uh jimmy olsen his career struggles um 
Lori Lamaris makes a, an appearance again. Um, and, you know, these are all reoccurring, very basic, typical Superman characters and settings. Um, whereas now, I say now meaning current comics, that's all been blown up and, you know, none of that really applies anymore. So um, it's very uh, appropriate for the time, you know, when these when these came out. So. Yeah, absolutely. It's why I, I think I always feel most at home when we're we're here in the Triangle era. So, you know, that was really a big highlight. Plot wise, you know, we'll we'll unpack a lot of this. But as as far as uh, some of the adversaries that Superman goes up against, we have the return of Savior, which you reminded me we talked about the last time, or one of the last times you were on the show. And uh, yeah, the time before that as well, <laughs> I believe. Like I said to you off mic, I said, man, I wish I could say that I really had had, had mapped this out and had you back specifically <laughs> here for that reason, but it, it just worked out beautifully. So that's great. So we have the return of Savior. We have uh, another iteration of the Superman Revenge Squad, who we learn is is being uh, organized by uh, by Morgan Edge. Uh, we have this uh, monstrous creature, Ripper, who is abducting and and eating and killing children, a very gruesome storyline. And, you know, in the past, of course, we talked about the death of Cat Grand's son at the hands of Toy Man. It's like, oh, wait, you don't need to, like, I really felt like maybe we could have gone in a little bit of a different direction here. That was a little bit much, I thought. But uh, but what we do have that, Parasite is part of this revenge squad. Uh, Mixus Pitalik makes an appearance. So, you know, those are some of the adversaries that, that he's going up against. Supporting cast-wise, I would say the two... The, the two who I think have the most significant arcs and who I certainly enjoyed following the most were Jimmy and Lex. And it's it's really interesting to see them going in opposite directions because over the course of these issues, we see Lex really reassert himself. We see him beat the charges mm-hmm. against him, welcome baby Lena, overthrow Contessa from their marriage and from her role as uh, the head of LexCorp. Uh, We see him physically beat the crap out of the new head of Intergang, Boss Moxie. Uh, There's a a lot with Lex as he sort of reassumes his position of prominence in Metropolis. Whereas on the flip side, we see Jimmy Olsen really fall from grace from his position as Mr. Action at GBS to the point where Intergang runs him out of town as they think he knows who Superman is. And then he has this crazy adventure uh, in the wild area with Scorn and Ashbury and Misa from the Harrys. There's a lot going on there, but I feel like the two of them, you know, they really get a lot of play going in different directions. And I thought that was kind of interesting. I, I mentioned Scorn and Ashbury. Those are two supporting cast members. We started talking about them in the last episode when they were introduced. Scorn being a Saratak, this Candorian uh, prince uh, who makes his way to our world and for a time dons the the, the classic garb of Superman and, and positions himself as a hero inspired by the Man of Steel in these issues, he uh, abandons that costume and just kind of starts doing his own thing. But he partners up, so to speak, with Ashbury, the, the high school daughter of Dirk Armstrong, the resident conservative at the Daily Planet. These two characters get a lot of play. And I, I said in the last episode that one of the things I was sort of going to be tracking as we make our way through this part of the Triangle era is is it too much with them? Do they wear out their welcome? Are are we stretching the supporting cast too thin at the expense of Superman? I don't want to rehash that whole episode, but you might even remember mm-hmm. this. There was an issue of Wizard. And since that last episode, I, I realized is the first issue of Wizard I ever bought. It was uh, 86, I think, 86 or 87. It's Hulk on the cover. Mm-hmm. And there was an article called Clark Kant. And it was 
the wizard staff taking down the Superman books, everything that they thought was wrong with the Superman books. And one of the things they felt the supporting cast had gotten too sprawling and that the books were too crowded and that Superman himself was kind of getting lost in the shuffle. So we talked about that last time, but you know, I can't help but have that on my mind as I'm reading these stories. And so I, I want to ask you, not to make Scorn and Ashbury the sort of <laughs> the lightning rod for all this, but I feel like they represent, if this is a problem, I feel like they are a representation of it. So where where do you land on the supporting cast, but specifically those two and their role in the books? I, I, I'm glad you asked because I, I distinctly remember when I originally read these back in the day that I, I always felt that they spent way too much time on these characters. Like I, I would, you know, there was, especially since like Scorn was on the cover of way too many of these. <laughs> so I would always say to myself, like, why do they keep bringing this character back? Like, you know, it's not like this character was some, you know, needed some major redemption. You know, it just, it, it didn't really jive with me. And I'm not a fan of the whole, like, you know, not speaking type of thing. And then he speaks broken English and, you know, me find this type of thing. I'm like, okay, so are you like a, bizarro replacement for the time being, you know, um, because you could just do that. Like I'd rather see like electric bizarro, you know, that would be something, but, um, yeah, both of them. I mean, I, of course, you know, it, it, I bumped into it a little bit, um, m- when I was younger, more so now, um, because it, like if this, these characters are going to go on to bigger and better things, that would make sense, but we're just spending way too much time on characters that never went anywhere. Very much so. And I, I, I read ahead a little bit cause I was curious. I was like, what the hell ever happens to scorn? Right. And he disappears off panel. There's a, a later issue of action comics. And I think it's seven fifty. I think it's the anniversary issue that Stuart Immonen does. And it's, I think it's in this issue. I mean, we'll get to it in, in one of our later episodes, but essentially I think like Ashbury gets into some trouble at school and, and sort of a lot, a lot of this kind of comes to a head. The fact that she's mm-hmm. running around with scorn all the time and scorn overhears like her father and teacher and, and Ashbury talking. And then uh, it's either in that issue or a later issue where uh, she confronts her father. Cause she's like, look, scorn left this note. And that's like the last we ever see of him. So he just kind of, it, it really does kind of fizzle out. And now after all of the various reboots that we've encountered, who knows if this character even exists? You know, this was, he came from a very different version of Kandor at a very specific time in the publishing history, right? right? When Kandor was right. a very different entity. Yes, exactly. But I, I'm with you. Um, I, I said this last time. I was like, you know, if it was a matter of, hey, we want to have the classic costume around for a while after Superman's change. It's like, use, you know, right. use, I, like, I think I use the example of Eradicator or something like that. I think Bizarro is another great yeah. example. It's like, there are other yeah. ways to sort of serve this function. Yeah. And he didn't really bring a whole lot to the, to the story. Um, it wasn't a very compelling character, I didn't think, at least. Um, certainly not for the amount of time that they kept him around. I, I think this, what I kept bumping into with with this whole with this whole storyline and the two of them in particular was was probably a little bit more the Ashbury of it because I feel mm-hmm. like with with the two of them and I know it's, a, it's gonna sound like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth because I was just like oh I love the supporting cast in this world of Metropolis but <laughs> to a point and I feel like these two characters are too tangential they are too removed mm-hmm. from our core 
Lois, Clark, Jimmy, Perry, you know, Lex, cast. Yeah. Scorn yeah. is one thing, and he comes from that world of Candor. Okay. I, I still agree with with your assessment of the character, though. Uh, I, I think, you know, there's only so much mileage you can really get. Um, and we got it, right? You know, he came out, yeah. and there's that initial confrontation, and then he's inspired by Superman and follows his lead. And and I don't know that we really, there's so much more farther to go at that point. But with Ashbury, you know, she's the daughter of this relatively new colleague at the Daily Planet. It just feels like it's a little bit too far removed. The other thing was, and I, this was a very curious choice to me. Why did they make her a child, essentially? Why did they make her underage? Because this whole thing has a very like Beauty and the Beast vibe to it. Mm -hmm. And it just adds this whole, you know, just sort of odd factor to me, right? Of the fact that she's this high school student, you know, maybe she's like 16 or 17 or something like that. And she's running around with this yep. monster. And, you know, like they keep making mention of the fact that she's underage. And right. not that, I mean, from what we read, we don't actually see a, an actual romance. And I, from what I remember, I don't know that they ever get that far in subsequent issues. But uh, again, it, it, it kind of has that feel to it. And I just sort of wonder why, <laughs> like why invite that? Why make that right. a part of this? The So I, I t absolutely agree with you. And the only thing that I thought of as I'm reading it is maybe there was some, there was someone behind the scenes saying, hey, we could, if there's enough of a buzz on these characters, we could spin them off, like keep them together in their own story, you know, and make that story, you know, for another group, another market of, of, of uh, fans. Um, that it may be appropriate for, you know, because like you have that not necessarily beauty and the beast, but you have that child with the thought, not father figure, but the, you know, her muscle being right. scorned. Um, and they're, you know, fighting the, they're like the Scooby gang, you know, trying to solve mysteries or something to that effect. Um, that's the only thing I could really think of that would warrant, you know, having these two characters together for so long. Like, I got it. <laughs> Go to, you know, what's the problem with this? Yeah. No, I think that's, I think that's fair speculation. And maybe that, maybe that was somewhat of, of the hope. I, I don't know. I, I would, I think that there, there are one, one or two fixes that I think would have solved a lot of this for me. Number one is had Ashbury been in college because that's, that's still a young person. She's blind as mm -hmm. well. That's the other angle here that you know, her father, you know, mentions a lot, right? So he's overprotective. Right. Her mother had passed away. So there's a lot kind of going on in their family dynamic. But I feel like kind of making her a college student, she's still young, right? She's, she would, you know, he, he would still be in that protective mode, but it sort of takes mm -hmm. that one kind of potentially like icky component out of it. So I right. feel like and that's- In fact, yeah. yeah. If they were in, she were in college, then, you know, she's at a point in her life where she's supposed to be spreading her wings and, you know, getting, having a little bit more freedom to, you know- to go out into the world. So it would only make sense. Whereas if she's the age that she's at here, then she's supposed to be protected by her parents. She's supposed to be under that parental blanket, you know, of, of protection. So to be scooting around with a creepy monster thing, it doesn't really make sense. The, the other thing that I was thinking of, and I, I had this idea when when Lucy Lane made what I believe was her only appearance in the batch of issues that we read. This could have been a Lucy thing. 
And I think that would have solved yeah. my other problem with this, which was that Ashbury just feels too too far removed from our core cast here. Whereas you use Lucy and it's like, okay, now we have a much clearer connection point. And, and I feel like this, I, I don't know, for my purposes, I think it would have worked better. I, I still think, you know, a little scorn goes a long way. I still don't know that I would have needed to spend as much time uh, with the character as, as we did. But yeah. I, I feel like that might have been a way through this that would have been a little bit smoother. But again, it's it's easy yeah. to Monday morning quarterback this over 20 years later. But again, just kind of like some curious, I just feel like there were some curious choices made there. And I, I don't know. But to your point, yeah, maybe there was so, somewhat of a hope that, you know, look, this was a period of time. We had five ongoing Superman titles. We also had Supergirl. We also had Steel. We had Superboy. Like there was, there was right. a lot going. So maybe there there was hope for us, you know, Scorn and yeah. Ash spinoff. Yeah. You know, the Batman family has gotten big. They want to build up the Superman family too. So, yes, I, I think what, oh, I, while we're on the subject of Scorn and, and Ash and, you know, we follow them. They're, they're hiding out in the abandoned pool at her school for a while uh, she brings him to school uh, later on to help plan the homecoming dance, and then you get kind of get everybody's reaction. Uh, that dance ultimately ends up happening at a hotel through a connection of one of the classmates, and then there's this big explosion. But like she brings him there as her date, and you know, so we, like we follow them a, a fair amount through this. But there's one issue, and this kind of I'm jumping around here, but it's I feel like this is a good point to talk about because I, I want to get your take. I'm like I don't know what to make of this. This is after the Genesis tie-in. And during the Genesis okay. crossover in the Superman books, uh, Superman encountered cyborg Superman yet again by the source wall. And unbeknownst to Superman, Hank Henshaw hitched a ride back to Earth through the circuitry of Superman's containment suit. So in one of these Scorn and Ashbury issues, there's this new teacher at school. <laughs> Real nice. I'm <laughs> looking out for, for Ashbury. But he's got kind of an ax to grind about Superman. He's like, the school's making me making you guys do this assignment, talking about how great Superman is. He's not that great. He's this alien. And everyone's kind of like, what's with this? You know, what's going on? He's usually so nice, this guy. Like, what's got him riled up? And the big twist, sorry to spoil it for everyone, is that the teacher is actually the cyborg. He fashioned more of a human form for himself and Superman intervenes and they battle and Cyborg is seemingly destroyed. But as is always the case, he's not really dead. We see the right. little spark in the little statue of Cyborg that Ashbury keeps. So, of course, he'll come back. He always comes back. What, what was your take on, on the Cyborg of it all in that issue? Did it make sense to you? No. But, you know, I... I, I, I don't know why a character so hell-bent on killing Superman would make himself into a teacher. It didn't make, you know, I, I don't know. It didn't really, didn't really make sense to me. I mean, this is a character that destroyed, you know, an entire city, um, destroyed, helped destroy Coast City, took over as Superman, harmed so many people, but then he's going to more or less reel himself in and pose as a teacher. So it didn't, I don't know, it seemed like a bit of a cop-out, you know, of a way to, um, you know, bring the character back in. I mean, we just saw this character at the source wall, you know, um, and he was more or less, a, uh, he was like not necessarily embedded in it at that point. He was kind of making his way out on like a rock or something. So he's that, you know, um, he's that powerful. 
So he's going to go from being on the quite literally the edge of space to being a teacher. So I don't know. It just seemed like a bit of a, a major stretch from one extreme to the other. So um, that could they could have made him they could have made that character anyone else that would have made more sense. Yeah, I, I I agree with all of that. It really sort of took me out of it because I just felt it did not track with who we know Hank Henshaw to be. And yes, and I, yeah. I had you know I'd forgotten this. You speak about Final Night in that Parallax one shot that came between issues three and four of Final Night, where we follow Hal mm-hmm. Jordan uh, before he shows up to help defeat the Sun Eater. He imprisons Hank Henshaw on the Source Wall. But then in this Genesis crossover, right, we find out that Henshaw was able to like transfer his consciousness to like the rubble near the wall. And so he's created this little, you know, little floating yeah. home for himself right near the wall anyway. Uh, but this whole idea, because he says to Superman in that issue in the classroom, he's like, all I wanted was to be normal. It's like, is that it? I mean, I, I mean, I know, yes, there was a lot of talk about, right, how he lost his humanity and Superman didn't save him and save, you know, the other, the, his wife and the other people on there, on the crew, right, going back years now in the Superman books and, and, you know, this disconnect from reality, right, where Superman's like, that's not what happened. I tried to help you. Uh, right. But it just, I don't know, the, the notion that when given the option, Hank Henshaw would choose not not revenge, not further death or destruction, but that he would just try to live this normal life as a teacher. It just, I don't know. I, that did not make sense to me. And that part of me is like, well, wait, if that's all, like, again, he can't be absolved for what he did. He killed millions, but it's just like, I I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. It just, it, it just did not line up at all. And I had totally... Right. I mentioned this last time. I, I'm at the point now rereading these issues where I have a clearer memory of them. Like I'm 10 now back when these were originally coming out. It's like, nah, I, I remember them more. Yeah. I had to- totally forgotten that one at like completely. So I was, so it was a surprise as I was reading it and it turns out to be Henshaw. I'm like, wait, what? But that was such a weird one. Yeah. I mean, it, he could, like you said, you know, he wants to become normal or, you know, live a, a normal life again, which, he proved he quite literally can do. He just chooses not to because he's hell bent on domination or killing Superman or something to that effect. If he really wanted to do that, well, he did it. He just chose to snap out of it. So, I mean, he can go someplace else, anywhere else in the world. He can make himself look like a human and do that and go away and you don't have to worry about it. But I still love that character. He's one of my favorite, you know, don't break him out all the time every once in a while to really like, you know, pull him out at the last minute. Like, Oh snap. I will say, and we covered this uh, last year, but in the rebirth era, when Henshaw was part of the Superman revenge squad and Superman ultimately, you know, fashions a prison for him in the fortress and gives him one of the crystals that will allow him to sort of relive his, his memories of his life. Yeah, I I real that was one of those instances where I'm like, wow, that's a kind of an ingenious way to sort of go about this. We've seen time and again, right? He, he can't be destroyed, right? He can't be imprisoned, but like this is a way of giving him some measure of of peace, of closure, of maybe placating him, right? While he is still imprisoned, but and it also, of course, spoke to Superman's compassion, right? Despite everything that this guy has done that he's still trying to find some way to help him reclaim his humanity. I thought that was such a great 
great sort of twist on what we typically see where it's the Superman's like, oh, yes. he's gone. It's like, no, he's not. He's never gone. No, he's never, <laughs> never gone. Even when he was supposed to be actually be killed by the anti-monitor and uh, Sinestro Corp War or no, Blackest Night. Oh. I can't remember anymore. Um, uh, yeah, he was supposed to be anti-monitor was going to kill him and oh no, Sinestro Corp War because he was one of the uh, Yellow Lanterns and uh, he's like, yeah, when this is all said and done, I'll kill you. And the last, you know, his part of the, the, uh, of that story, his last panel is, you know, supposedly he's dead, but it's just his head floating in space. And like the eye turns on and a tear trickles down uh, the side of his face. You're like, Oh, he's not dead. So I do remember that as, as you're, as you're recounting it. So, you know, audience, look, if, you know, if, if you're, especially with respect to this, you know, him posing as a teacher thing, if you're like, no, that tracks, like, I think that makes sense for what the character wants. Like, please reach out. Let me know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'm off here, but it was just, it was such a, uh, just such a, an odd turn. I thought in that, in that issue. This episode made possible in part by educator, hobby comic book collector, and pop culture enthusiast, Sam Lim. Sam just moved to the South Jersey area and is looking to connect with other comics fans as well as retailers. They are also looking for comic shops to explore, so recommendations are welcome. Be sure to follow Sam on Instagram at SZLComics. Thank you to all members of my Patreon community for supporting this podcast. If you like what you hear and are not a member yet, please consider signing up today at patreon.com slash Anthony Desiato. We offer a variety of monthly reward tiers and discounted annual memberships are available too. Beginning at the $1 level, you can listen to Digging for Justice, my exclusive DC movie rewatch podcast. Click the link in the show notes for more. If you're looking for other ways to support the show, leaving a rating and review on Apple podcast goes a long way and only takes a second. You're also welcome to join the conversation on social media via the links in the show notes. Last but not least, we are an affiliate of BCW Supplies, so the next time you need to restock on comic book bags, boards, boxes, and more, be sure to use promo code FSP to save 10% on your order. That's FSP for Flat Squirrel Productions. It helps support the show too. Thank you. Filmmakers and movie fans alike should be sure to attend these film festivals, Brightside Tavern in Jersey City, Hang On to Your Shorts in Asbury Park, Point Lookout on Long Island, and In the Cut in Bloomfield, New Jersey. On a personal note, my short film, By Spoon, The J. Mizell Story, played at these fests, so I know firsthand what fun and well-run events they are. Submission information for filmmakers, as well as details about the festivals, can be found at filmfreeway.com. Follow the festivals on social media for news about events, discounts, tickets, and more. Also, listen to the Hang On To Your Shorts and Cullen On Film podcasts, available via a shared universe network. So I think that maybe what compounded some of the frustration I was feeling with respect to Scorn and Ashbury and, and all that is that in terms of what was going on with Superman at the time, and, and you alluded to this at the beginning here, <laughs> it's a lot, it's a lot in these issues of him talking or thinking specifically in the thought bubbles mm -hmm. about how hard it is to have these new powers and describing exactly what he's doing every time he uses the powers. We, we get issue after issue of him lamenting the fact that he no longer has his super hearing 
or his x-ray vision and he has to go on patrol. Mm -hmm. That's actually a great little twist. That shows how his life is harder. That's great. But it's said so many times and we get so many explanations. Every time I'm going to have to extend my energy field or I'm going to have to go in materials. Like every time he's doing something, he's telling us. And I know it's new for the audience. It's new for the character. I get all of that. And I do also appreciate the fact that even though these books were working to tell a weekly story, there was no guarantee everyone was reading all the issues. So they had to give you enough in each one. And these were not necessarily meant to be binge read the way we mm-hmm. did for purposes of this episode. I recognize all of that, but the effect that it has reading them one after the other, it's just like you get beat over the head with the use of his powers. And right. I think the problem I have is whether it's one time or a hundred times, I don't know how interesting it is. I mean, where, where do you it's, land on this? Uh, it's not very interesting because it's, if it were anyone else, like if it were Batman, if something happened were to happen to Batman, there would be one issue where he would just spend his time figuring it out. You know, he never just pauses. Um, and when he does, it's to like cook breakfast and burn his stupid hand on a pot, you know, and you have a whole new set of, of, of powers you're quite literally your DNA has changed. Your, your body structure is different. Stop, take a beat. Let's figure these powers out. I mean, you, your body is now, you have to contain it in a suit. So I think, you know, if there was um, like an issue where he's just trying to figure it out and, you know, like, uh, like in Shazam in the movie, when he fit, you know, the you know the there's like a whole montage of him like trying to figure out his powers like that would be cool okay how do i you know shoot electricity or do whatever and phase in and out and you know rather than getting beat over the head with it or you know just breadcrumb it throughout the 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 um through the story it just it got tiring fast so yeah it it did i also i wonder like are you a science guy at all? Yeah. Eh. Eh, all right. So, yeah. I mean, I wonder if for you or for anyone out there who, who really is of the scientific persuasion, did, you know, was this more interesting? Because I, I don't know. I don't know if, if, if you were really into this, if you're like, oh, like I love it. The other thing, too, is I have no idea to what extent the science actually checks out. I did probably not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, I, you know, I don't know because I, I wonder, yeah, maybe there are folks out there who like loved hearing about what he was doing with his powers, but it just felt tiring is a great word. It also just felt like they were trying too hard. I, I said this last time. I do genuinely think the the creators were well intentioned, and that they really latched onto this idea of hey, and th- this phrase is used in the books, right? He's learning. It's like learning how to walk all over again. Mm-hmm. And I get that, right? And you want to challenge the character in new ways. I totally appreciate that. But it just felt like they were trying too hard. It was like, look, look, look. Like the thing that he normally does, he can't do that. So he's going to show you how, he's going to tell you how he's doing it in a different way. And there's some cool things. There's one, an issue, I think it's with Jurgens and Friends, when he has to uh, to land that plane, right? That's crashing, that's hurtling towards Metropolis. Yeah. And he, you know, like sears off the wings and he seals everything up and he creates the energy field that, and then he uh, sort of like melts the ground and creates this like tar that it can, it can slide into. You know, that was great. Like there were some cool set pieces like that, but it's just, 
it, it was it was too much, and I just don't know that it was interesting enough to warrant that. And it just felt like so much of what his story was about. I mean, understandably, right? This whole this whole era is his power is changing, but it's just like so much of it was about that, and it just got it just got old. I was just like, I don't I don't care. <laughs> I, yeah, I agree with you. You know, it's it was the retelling of like his appearance in Metropolis in in the comics. You know, there was a plane in a crash, so he's going to go and and save the you know keep the plane from crashing. Well, it's the same thing. Now he just did it a different way. Um, it, it there are lesser characters in comics who have the similar uh, power set as he did, who did it much better. So I think they that what they were doing could only last so long. You know, like you have you have to do it better. If you're gonna have like there are shoot, they even had a character um maybe a year or so later. It was that there was a female Strange Visitor who had a yeah, okay. So who had the um similar power issues and she was wearing his outfit. And so she's like a, I don't know, second, third tier character. And it seemed like she handled it better than he did. It was like one issue. Boom, in and out, gone. But it took him like a year and a half. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I referenced last time an interview that Jurgens gave on, I think, the 20th anniversary of this story. And and he really stood by it generally, but did admit that he he that he did feel it became unwieldy and that they should have had sort of a, a clearer, I guess, arc, so to speak, um, or, or more clearly defined, you know, chapters within this, within this story. And I, and I agree. And I, because I was, I think I was pretty, I have to go back and listen to last week's episode, but I think I was pretty, I think pretty generous and I think pretty positive about the beginnings of this, but mm-hmm. this stretch got a little rough. And I know this is really the end of this, version of it right next he's going to split into red and blue for better or worse and then we have millennium giants for better or worse uh and then the the traditional powers (laughs) will be restored (laughs) i am kind of dreading the millennium giants thing i'll I'll be honest i do not remember that fondly at all i don't either and i just remember it like going on forever and the only reason though i kept buying it is like oh these characters these covers go together and they make giants and i'm like that's the only reason why I'm getting this because the story was stupid. I will, I will say this though. Uh, I thought it was so much longer than it really was, but I've been, you know, reading on the app and in terms of the core Superman titles, I'll have to double check, but I swear it was just like six issues, but they had crossovers with teen Titans with steel. So it, it did balloon, but I'm going to just read the core issues and hopefully those, those half a dozen will go by relatively quickly, but yeah, it, it's, I'm looking at them cause they have them lined up here and it's, it's, I remember it just feeling like forever. Maybe they just rearranged them differently or something the way they're listed here. But you know, there were three giants as I recall. Yeah. And you know, there was the head torso and foot. And so there were, I think maybe n- maybe six or nine, I don't know, issues. But, you know, you put them all together and it was Superman zipping across, <laughs> both red and yellow. 
but yeah, we'll get there. That's not our next episode. I've spread these out a little bit. So, you know, after this one, we'll spend a little time. We'll see what else was going on in the world of Superman beyond comics and also beyond the core Superman titles, because we also have the Grant Morrison JLA run. So that's one of our upcoming uh, episodes as well. And that's, I think most people hold up Morrison's use of electric Superman as probably the best uh, that we got. And so I'm excited to get to that. Uh, but again, I mean, as far as the core titles during this period of just the electric blue, right? You know, we're, we've come to the end of it in terms of what we've read here. But, you know, I was, of course, you can't help but compare this to Death of Superman in terms of of just these huge status quo shifting events in the character's life and publishing history. And it's just, you know, you, you look at one and and it did have, you know, Death of Superman did have clear arcs, but it also had places to go. I think that was the other thing here, right? You kill Superman, you're dealing with the emotional fallout. Right. What happens when he's not there? Who rises to take his place? How does he come back? There's a lot, there's a lot to do there. Here, I think this initial setup was solid and you saw him struggle to to deal with these new, with this new power set and he gets the new suit and I do think it's a cool look. People, you know, have differing opinions on that, but you know, it gets you to a place where it's like, okay, not quite sure where we're going, not quite sure how long this is going to last, not sure how I really feel about it, but it feels like there's an energy, no pun intended, like it's kind of, it's exciting. Yeah. But then there's, I don't know, it's just, there doesn't really seem to be anywhere to go other than to just keep showing you or telling you. I think that's the problem. I think it was the telling that kind of got on my nerves, right? Because the golden rule, show, don't tell. And it was just a lot of him explaining what he was doing. So I'm glad you mentioned that. And what I thought of this period of time in, in the comics, and by all means, please tell me if, if you think I'm, call me out on it, if it's nonsense or not. But it seemed like this period of time was very dumbed down. You know, they're, they're like you said, spelling everything out for you. I have to do this. Oh, I have to do that. I have to do that. The, um, for the most part, the artwork was not as good as, as it had been in recent years or prior to it, I will say. Um, it didn't wow me. You know, there were gimmicks in the, the, the covers, a lot of gimmicks. You know, we had the, the, uh, the head, uh, series. Yes. Uh, I forgot the reason for that, but, um, all those, you know, the main characters were front and center, including Scorn. Cool. Dude, <laughs> I mean, Scorn whatever. got one. All right, yeah. Um, so, I mean, it, it it seemed like it was very, uh, very tame. Uh, I mean, some of the stories, yes, obviously, with children being eaten, but um, it, it seemed like a very, I hate to use that term, but a dumbed down uh, version of a. Uh, Superman storytelling. I guess, yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe I agree to a point, but then it's like you look at what they did with Lex and I feel like there was some really interesting stuff there. And was it issue 131 where Lena's born and Lex is narrating the issue. And I had mentioned this issue when we did one of our Lex episodes last year, but now I finally got to read it in its proper place uh, in the Triangle era. And, you know, you have Perry and Lex talking about their shared history growing up in Suicide Slum and... Uh, this is the issue where Lex has the mayor assassinated, and we, it, it turns out the assassin he hired was the former abusive foster parent he lived with who killed little Lena 
who was a fellow foster child who he had affection for. Uh, and after the, the foster father completes the job, Lex kills him. It's like, you know, and it ends with this chilling moment, right, of Lex holding Lena, looking out over Metropolis. He's like, this will be yours, as Contessa has been sedated and sequestered, right? It, you know, so, like, there's some good stuff that I, I would say is not dumbed mm-hmm. down. However, yeah, I mean, I, maybe in terms of, you know, more generally speaking, and especially when it comes yeah. to these powers. Yeah. And I look, I, like, I love these creators, and I love this period of time. It's like, I, I don't mean to dump on it, but, and I also, I can appreciate, too, it's like, they want to make sure people understand what's going on, what the powers are. They probably are trying to figure it out themselves too. I, you know, it's like we talked in the last episode, there's one issue in there in Candor and all of a sudden Superman's using vision bolts. And it's like, <laughs> where the F did this come from? Like this, it wasn't part of the equation. It's like, it's just a different form of heat vision. What the hell is this? And right. I don't think he used it again. <laughs> so I think they were sorting out a lot themselves. Like, I, I, I get all of that. I, on a positive note, I, I will say this. Clark contending with being human when he's not Superman. Yes, there's some silly stuff, like you said, when he, uh, you know, when he when he burns his hands, you know, taking the the pot out of the oven. But there were a few instances. Uh, he's reporting on a story, and there's a mining cave in. And initially, it's like, well, if I use my powers, I'll reveal myself. But then it turns out it's like with the gas that's down there, like any spark will cause it to ignite. So it's like if he electrifies, they're done. That puts him in a tough spot. There's another one where Intergang sets fire to Lois and Clark's building. And it's like, he goes back in to protect his secret identity. Like <laughs> he changes back to Clark so that he can come out. And then he ends up passing out from smoke inhalation and another guy has to save him. Uh, and there's, oh, and then when Lois is abducted by uh, the same terrorist who had wrecked their honeymoon, uh, right? When she's in Australia and Sam, mm-hmm. Lane and, and Clark have to go in to rescue her. And, you know, Clark is saddled with Sam, right? And so he's got to do as much as he can as Clark to protect his identity. There were a few instances where I was, oh, and even stuff as as, as mundane as, uh, you know, Lois kind of ribbing him for putting on some pounds yeah. as Clark. Yeah. And another character mentions that as well. I was like, you're really dumping on this guy. Uh, and even, you know, you see him trying to lift weights and he's like, you know, he's practicing his form, right? Because he he's never had to do it. Right. That stuff I thought was was cool. I, what, what did, did you I, like that? I, I did. Absolutely. Because one, you hadn't seen it. It's never happened before. You know, other than like him being without powers, um, like in the past. But, you know, they never really touched on that. You know, not so much as they did here, certainly. You know, the biggest thing you had to deal with back then was like his hair grew. You know, he can get a haircut now. I'm like, wow. Um, but I like that stuff. I mean, I it, I joke about it, but it it was more interesting. You know, like he's a real he's a regular person right now, and he has to experience all these things for the first time. And he's clearly like, oh wow, that's you know, you know, obviously he's felt pain, but on a such a mundane thing as taking out a pan from an oven or something like that, burning his hand, you know, gaining weight apparently, which it seems like if you can alter your physical form, you could probably suck in your gut too, but you know, whatever. But, um, but I, I find that, you know, that's new and interesting. That's all new area that hasn't been touched. And, you know, that's what, that's what made this or this part of this, period interesting and you know what i think helps with that is that they were able to do more showing there and -hmm. not as much telling it's like yes there is dialogue about oh you put on weight or oh i gotta you know i had to supinate my wrist right 
But uh, again, it just didn't feel like we were being told as much. And so I, I think this right. works really well. And I, you know, in both instances, whether we're talking about the new powers or being human as Clark, it's like, yes, it's challenging him in, in different ways. But I just think the Clark side of it it's just vastly more interesting. And it's mm -hmm. his job at the Daily Planet, right? Like he can't type fast anymore. So it's like the thing right. that was sort of his saving grace before, he could disappear, right? But he could file his stories lightning fast and, and get everything in. And it's like now he's right. like sitting there. Like stuff Crap, like that. Where's the P? I don't know where the P is. Yeah. You know, so like stuff like that, I, you know, I, I really thought was, was enjoyable. And that added, I think, a, a fun wrinkle uh, to the proceedings, way more than you know, what sort of electromagnetic field he was extending all the time. Um, yeah. So is I said this last time, I'll echo it again. I thought the Lois and Clark, the married dynamic, I really like that. I, I like the two of them now really on the same team, partnered up. She's fully in his world. I thought that was great. You know, we get the little bit of a wrench in the works with Simone, the new marketing consultant, who of course Clark had passed with. Uh, it's funny though, at one point Lois is like, oh, your ex-girlfriend. And he's like, well, you know, it wasn't really like ex-girlfriend. It's like, buddy, I don't know that you're helping yourself here. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, again, we touched on that last time. Like he sucks when it comes to like dealing with past relationships and communicating to his wife. I'm like, look, man, everything you've been through, I think you could just tell her and be like, cut me some slack, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. So uh, yeah, that aspect I think more than anything else was was a strong point of of this of this point. You know, speaking of the powers and the costume, oh, a couple of things. One, in one of the earliest issues that you and I read, maybe even the first one, I think it is the first one. It's the one with uh, where Superman is like slamming Lex against the desk on the cover, and that plays out in yeah. the issue as well. So we the audience knows that the fabric, the micro fabric for the containment suit, came from the Contessa, but apparently Clark doesn't until he reads Lois's article. And I'm be, I guess I'm being nitpicky here. And I know Clark was off in Candor for a while, but it's like, well, this never came up. How, like, you know, it's like, I would be a little, I'd, if I were Clark, I'd be a little peeved. I'd be like, Lois, what the hell? <laughs> well, the fact that he didn't know that and his wife didn't know it, like that, that just goes to show you like everything that happens in Superman world happens continuously. Like, there's no room for breathing or anything like what we see is what happens like from issue to issue and panel to panel. So there's no like taking a moment to figure stuff out in between. Fair. No. Yeah. I think that, I, I think that that is, I think that's a, an accurate, that's an accurate it's read. Responsible. <laughs> yeah. But at least he gets that bit of information and still waiting to see what the, where, where the other shoe is going to drop. Do you remember? I don't want to spoil it for myself, but there, right there, does come a point. There's some sort of trip, trick, you know, trick or trap or something that that, that they that they put in the suit. Is there something? Oh man, I forget. I don't. I don't recall. Certainly, it wasn't in this. If there was, it's not for a while. But I don't. Re, I don't remember there being anything. Um, maybe like a fail safe where he couldn't harm you know, like uh Contessa or something to that effect. Um, you know, like a, some type of fail safe, like I had done that to me, but no, I don't, I don't remember. I just, it's, that doesn't stick out in my head. Yeah. I just have this suspicion that there's no payoff to this, but I, I I'm happy to be proven wrong. We'll see. But that I did think that issue was solid where Superman confronts Lex and he's like, listen, you've screwed with my powers before. 
right? And we, you know, we have instances of that from from years prior mm-hmm. with the red kryptonite and the things like that. So the fact that Superman thinks Lex is behind it makes total sense. I think led to a great confrontation between them. There's also you mentioned the issue where Lori Lamaris leaves, and I'll say this: first of all, I'm glad that they at least gave her somewhat of a farewell as opposed to just dropping her, right? You know, she at least says that yeah. like, I'm going on this archaeological expedition. Right. Like, okay, like at least we've acknowledged that she's not going to be around. And then that's the issue where, and this leads to the other big thing that I wanted to wanted to follow up from the last episode. Um, in that issue, Clark is still approaching all of this as if it's a temporary setback, a temporary change. Mm-hmm. And over the course of this issue, especially after he talks to Emil Hamilton, he comes to terms with the fact that this is permanent. Of course, we know it won't be, but at least right. for purposes of the story at this point, he he has a measure of acceptance. And I, I did I did like that aspect of it. Yeah, I mean if if they if you're going into a major event or story and the character realizes it's temporary, then kind of doesn't matter. There's really no uh, emotional connection to it. You know, I think that if the character knows, well, this is permanent, this is not going, there's no hope, there's no change in sight, you know, there's no going back, then you know this is going to be the status quo going forward and I have to make do with it and that's how it is. That way, the story's going to matter. So, you know, you, I think it went, I don't know, what, a year and a half in the in the comics, something mm-hmm. like that? Yeah. So, I mean, that's a that's a fair amount of time, real time. So, you know, in comics world, that's, I don't know, two months, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> something like that. Um, but, you know, that's, um, you know, you, your characters, I think, need to really realize, like, this could be permanent. So I need to make do with it. So, yeah. So uh, we, I read one of our patron questions last week, but I'm going to reiterate it now to just kind of update. But first, let me pose it to you, Joe. <laughs> yes, please. Uh, can you <laughs> can you summarize the origin of Electric Superman in a few concise sentences? How did he get these powers? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> I had to explain this to my seven-year-old. <laughs> okay. And I said the following. He lost his powers. He got thrown into the sun. But the sun was really, really too powerful for him. And it almost overloaded him and as a result screwed him up so bad that it changes whole DNA. And as a result, he has to, he's, uh, I don't know, his DNA change and his, it couldn't be cohesive. So that's why he had to stick himself in a suit. I, I wish that's what they had gone with more. Exp- <laughs> I, I-, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's the only way I can really make sense of it, you know? Okay. So I know obviously you haven't heard the episode that hasn't come out yet. So we talked about this uh, in in the issues leading up to the donning of the, uh, the containment suit. Uh, Superman takes Lois to the fortress and he makes reference to the fact that Tolos, right? That body snatcher who created the bottle yes. city of Candor, right? Had tried yes. to possess him and, and take him into the bottle city. And that after that attempt to, to you know, take him to the bottle city uh, between dimensions <clears throat> that the fortress robots didn't recognize his DNA. Right. And we had had, there was, there was a whole issue with that. 
Yes. So coming out of last episode, based on that reading, we sort of had our working theory was that this dimensional shift screwed him up somehow. And I said then that I remembered a conversation with Hamilton where Hamilton talked about some kind of energy wave. And I was like, but I couldn't, it wasn't in the last batch of reading. I was like, where is it? It was in the reading that we did for this. It was an issue of, of Adventures of Superman. And I'll post the panel or, or the series of, of panels here. Cause I was like, oh, that's, I remember from being a little kid. I still remember that when Hamilton laid this out. Uh, okay, so he's, I'll just <laughs> read it. <laughs> where they're talking, Hamilton says, uh, didn't you tell me you had a few odd experiences of being sucked into that bottled city? And Superman says, yes, twice. That's what changed my powers. And Hamilton says, not exactly, but I believe it left you extremely susceptible to an unusual energy wave I've detected. Now you'll like this next part will raise your antenna, Joe. He says, I'm not quite sure of its genesis, but it hey. appears to be at least global. Global, hmm. And that's, as far as I know, that's as much of an explanation as we ever get. Now, the use of the word Genesis, so close to that Genesis event, makes me wonder if, because that story dealt with like this whole God wave business. I, right. I, I don't know. I don't think they ever make that connection clear or explicit, but at a minimum. It kind of makes sense, though. It seems that this dimensional shift into the bottle city, those attempts by Tolos to possess him, take him into the city, whatever happened there, that's yeah. what left him open to this energy wave that changed his powers. And I, for as much as I can remember, I, I genuinely think that's the most we ever get in terms of a clear, so to speak, uh, explanation of all of this. I like your version better. I think that would have been cleaner. <laughs> and it's also, you know, obviously we're, we're years away. From, well, not that many years, crazy enough, but we're still not years really, away man. from all-star Superman. But, you know, there we see the ultimate the consequence of, of too much solar radiation. So the idea of, Hey, yeah, the, the trip into the sun restored you, but there, there, there was this drawback to it. I think that would have just made a lot more sense. Yeah. I mean, I, that's how I always thought of it, at least over the years. Um, and I think there've been retellings of Superman, like, okay. So they had one in man of tomorrow you know, kind of a retelling of his life up until this point. And they've done, I, I always like those for some reason. I just, this is, a, I, I know the story. I know how it goes over the years, but I just love these little synopsis of his whole, you know, life until uh, up until now, uh, those issues. And they, they always seem to do that every few years. Um, and I, as I recall, that's just how they seem to have explained it in the past, you know, Lost his powers because of Final Night. Tried to get him back as a result of that. Now, of course, that happened a while ago, but now we're feeling the effects of it. You know, and it overloaded his system. He changed. He expelled some of the energy and became normal again. And Alex Ross painted, you know, like that was, <laughs> that was the gist of it. Yeah, I mean, maybe I'm hanging on Emil's words too too closely. I don't I don't know, but I definitely that makes sense. I, what you said makes sense. I mean, I, I prefer your ver. I mean, honestly, I really wish they had just and and yeah, maybe again, I don't know. Maybe I'll keep an eye out for times when this is referenced after that, if if that's sort of how they kind of tidy it up a little bit more. And I do remember, 
I guess I've blocked out a lot of Millennium Giants, but I do remember that Superman Forever one shot where he's back in his typical form. And I remember him talking to Pa yeah. Ken and it's like, he's at the end of Millennium Giants, you know, and we'll get there, but like basically Superman Red and Blue have to expend all of their energies to defeat the Millennium Giants. And then uh, he's restored to the Superman we all know and love. And he says something to Pa about like, oh, I think Earth rewarded me, like the planet <laughs> like rewarded him for sacrificing himself. It's like, really? Like after all this, <laughs> mm-hmm. that's what we're going yeah. with? It's like, all right. And they never, ever, ever make mention of that ever again. Like there's no, there are so, the death of Superman has been discussed, dare I say, ad nauseum ever since over the years. Now, the whole changing of his powers hasn't been discussed ever, or at least nowhere near as much. I mean, I don't remember it coming up. Maybe they did like in a recap or something like that, but um, well, no, I, I take that back because I think there's like a current something going on currently. John where, Kent, John Kent is getting John, the powers. Yeah. Okay, I haven't caught up yet, <laughs> but yeah, I mean they're obviously addressing it. So yeah, so we'll see. And even when we get to you mentioned that strange visitor character, we'll be touching on those issues in, our, in the final episode of this event. So we'll see sort of how it's addressed when, when we get to that point, but. Uh, it's, it's so, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll stop beating up on, on our poor creators here, but it's just, it's just funny to me how, where we want the explanation, tell us how he got these powers <laughs> there. Yeah. It's very nebulous, but it's like, I, I could do without all of the explanation about what he's doing in every issue to, you know, to, uh, to accomplish his super tasks, but that's where we get the exposition. So, you know, yeah, it, it, it is what it is. Uh, I, I will tip my hat to them. I did think it was cool when, uh, especially the first time Electric Superman went up against Parasite and he was able to siphon off all of Parasite's energy and he's like, how do you like it? Yes. And it's like, I'm different now. Right. Like that was a cool flip on what the dynamics typically is. Like some, there was good, there's good stuff in here. There's good stuff. There definitely is good stuff. Definitely good stuff. Um, him teaming up with Adam, I loved. Yeah. Uh, because I always, I love that character. Uh, you know, even though it, this was the, you know, uh, a different version of the character. Uh, I think this was, this was like a younger, uh, what was it? Was it Ray Palmer? It was Ray. He had been de-aged in zero hour that's and he was. forgot a okay. lot of the science he'd learned. So okay. he was having yeah, a hard time. You know, that had, had a fancy new outfit like many did back then. Um, and, um, you know, I, I always enjoy that character. So the fact that he's like, I'm partnering with Superman. Hey, uh, that was cool. And of course, you know, the fact that he interacts with Batman was a, was a fun issue as well. I'm glad you mentioned, uh, oh, let me circle back to that. I just want to say, cause you mentioned that man of tomorrow issue where Ma and Pa recount Clark's yeah. history. So, you know, kind of look at the cover frames, the issue as, uh, you know, sort of a journey through Superman's different looks. Yes. Right. And I think that's a, that's a great framing device for this. I would say what you get is, is, has even more substance to it in the context of the issue where they basically recount his entire post-crisis history mm-hmm. to that point. And yes, along the way, you see the, uh, the war world garb that he wore mm-hmm. when he was in the arena and, 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 and yeah. so on. But uh, yeah, you really get this summary now reading it now as an adult in 2023, who has now read the entirety of post-crisis Superman it's like, okay, I mean, it's kind of ridiculous that they would be having this, <laughs> like that kind of conversation going through everything. But 
I remember that issue and I still, it's still near and dear to me. And I was saying, you know, there's so much value in an issue like that, especially then, because it wasn't like, oh, everything's collected and people have, or people can go on an app and and read everything mm-hmm. digitally. You didn't have those opportunities necessarily to catch up on what you had missed. And right. I remember, look, when I read that for the first time, I had never read uh, that original, um, you know, the, the storyline where Superman executes Zod and the other villains. I had never read Exile. I had never read right. the Crisis of the Crimson Crypt. And I had never read any mm-hmm. of that. Like this was how I learned about a lot of this stuff. And so it, I really can appreciate the value of it, even if it, if it's a little clumsy now, but I, it, it was, uh, it's one that I, I still look back on very fondly. I love that one. I love, I love those. I, I agree with you. I mean, they're, um, for anyone who's new, uh, or people who are not new, but kind of just need a reminder. I think those are fun issues. You do it well and creatively. I think they're great. Uh, those and like the secret file is- issues. Yes. I was a sucker for those. Me too. It's just a sucker. I mean, the secret files, you know, it's like just it's nonsense. It's a nothing issue. But all it is is just have a cool picture of your character and a blurb of their uh, their backstory. You know, it's, I love those. I know. I was a big fan. I got I would you know, it's funny thinking back on it, I've sold them all now, but I would get secret files issues even for titles and characters I wasn't reading. Wow. Yeah. You know, but I guess but, it was good. It was like, at least it gave me some sort of context. Like there's value in that. Right. So the next yeah. time they pop up in the Superman books, at least I know what their deal is. It, it was the, I guess the updated version of who's who. Yeah. Something which is just an absolute awesome book. Acme Comics is a locally owned and operated full service comic book store in Greensboro, North Carolina for people of all ages and walks of life. Now in its 40th year, This multiple-time Eisner Award nominee features a significant contemporary and vintage back-issue selection, as the Acme team uses their collective knowledge and resources to connect you with the best material. Mail-order subscriptions to new releases are available, and all offerings are available anywhere via mail order. Follow Acme on social media and eBay, listen to the AcmeCast on all podcast services, and visit acmecomics.com for much more. Fat Moose Comics is New Jersey's best and oldest comic book store. Established in 1982 and under new ownership since 2020, Moose sells a wide selection of new and old comics from every publisher, action figures, graphic novels, posters, statues, and more. If you're looking for something and they don't have it, they can probably get it for you. They know a guy. Visit Fat Moose in Whippany, New Jersey the next time you're in the Garden State. And be sure to reach out via the Fat Moose Comics Facebook page. Oh Yeah Comics celebrates and promotes everything that is wonderful about comics, toys, artwork, and the joy they bring to people. Visit them in person at one of their three locations, Harrison, New York, which happens to be my local comic shop, Skokie, Illinois, or Muncie, Indiana. If you have children and have been looking for a family-friendly store, look no further. Join Aw Yeah for exciting events, including creator signings, how-tos, and more. Visit awyeahcomics.com and follow Aw Yeah on social media for more. Their name says exactly how they feel about it. Say it with me. Oh yeah. I'm glad that you mentioned that Batman issue with the kryptonite yeah. ring. Because that's an that's an instance where I, I counter to what I said before, where I feel like the, a lot of the challenges that Superman's facing, especially as Superman, 
you know, again, really all stem from having to figure out how to use these new powers. But this was a more philosophical debate that he was having, right? Where Lex is preparing his defense. He's demanding the return of, of the kryptonite ring to be studied. It's going to play a part in, in this defense that he's mounting against all of these legal charges, all these criminal charges. And, you know, Superman has to decide whether to acquiesce and turn the ring over or not. And, you know, this whole conversation that he has about how he's able to do what he does because the people trust him, right, to obey their laws and to and to play along, as opposed to Batman, the keeper of the kryptonite ring, who relies on on fear and intimidation. And so, and I love that interaction between them where Batman's like, you know, we know Luther's guilty, like, let him roast. And it's like, yes, yeah, that makes sense coming from Batman. But, of you know, that's not Superman. And unbeknownst to Superman, Lex plays him. Right. And he has this uh, uh, we think it's Lex's scientist who's observing the police department testing the ring. But really, it's this international thief who switches them out. And so we, we end that issue and this run of, of issues that we're talking about with Lex now yeah. in possession uh, once again of the kryptonite ring, though in the electric form, it doesn't affect Superman anymore, as we right. learned. But uh, I mean, what did you think about about that issue and the conclusion that Superman comes to? Did it did it ring true? Did you feel like he should have? should have followed Batman's advice. <laughs> well, I, uh, you know, I think we all think that people should follow Batman's advice because that's what Batman is there for. You know, he's telling everyone he's, he's speaking what everyone's feeling, but you know, that Superman is never going to do that. Um, and the whole time, the, the, the few pages that Batman's in there, um, I'm hearing Kevin Conroy's. Me too. When I turn that page, turn that page. When I <laughs> when I touch the screen and the yeah. and the page turn, I, I instantly instantly went to that. Yeah, and you know he's all silhouette, you know, except for maybe the one. There, yeah, there's the one panel where you see his mouth, but the whole thing is just black. Loved it. Um, yeah, I think you know I, I would love for just once in continuity because I know he's probably done it in in Elseworlds versions or in Injustice video games, just do what Batman does. Just let him, like you said, let him roast. Let him, you know, go to jail. Let him suffer or something. Um, Because, you know, that's what he deserves. And it would just be so badass. Because there's nothing that Superman really has to do. There's no powers. You know, it's not like he needs to, like, you know, rip a car apart. Just let him, you know, suffer for all his his misdeeds. So, yeah. Well, this is a great point. I think to talk about the Lex of it all. Cause like I said, I think Lex had one of the most interesting arcs uh, in the, in the stretch of issues that we read. I enjoyed it a lot. And a, a big part of it is, you know, at this point he's, he's married to the Contessa. They've mostly kept that on the down low, but now, you know, the yeah. word is starting to get out and she's pregnant. So we know that's, uh, you know, a, a baby's on the way. Uh, but yeah, a lot of this revolves around uh, all of these charges, right? So at this point in the story, of course, Lex was dying of kryptonite poisoning. He went on this flight around the world, seemingly died. But of course, we knew and the world would later come to learn that uh, he had faked his death and he had Happerson and his team of scientists grow him a new cloned body that they placed his brain in, and he then posed as his own son, his own Australian son, Lex II. Uh, and 
eventually, right? And we, we you were you were on that episode where we talked about the battle for Metropolis and the fall of Metropolis, where all of this kind of right. came to a head. That cloned body was deteriorating, and he was losing it, and he decided to take Metropolis out with him, and launch these attacks, and the city was was demolished, and you know he was left in this vegetative state, like just the shriveled body, right, in the, in that chamber. Uh, and then in that Underworld Unleashed event, he made a deal with the devil, Neron, right, in the, in the DC universe, and restoring right. his body. And then during the final night, so a lot of big stuff happens in these events. In the final night event, he returned, right, to, to, to public, you know, to the public uh, world uh, and offered his expertise in restoring the sun. So, you know, when we kind of pick up with him here, people don't really know, like, what what happened to him, right? Just that he's back, he's, he's you know, vital again, and uh, and he helped, but there are still all of these charges, the attempted murder of Sasha, his karate instructor from, from way back uh, a few years earlier, and of course the, the attempted, or not attempted, the destruction of the city. So all of that is kind of coming to a head. What, what did you think about the way uh, the trial, or not even the full trial, it was just like a pre-trial hearing. <laughs> right. And, and the way he's able to get around all of this, how, how did you, what did you think about how that all played out? Well, you know, it's it's typical Lex type stuff. It's I'm not surprised. Um I, you know, again, like I kind of figured like, oh, well, that's what's going to happen. Um and if it were not to happen that way and something you know, he goes to trial and gets convicted, well then, you know, something's going to happen at the last second where he's going to, you know, let me make a reference to you in current news. <laughs> okay. The Murdoch trials. Man's on trial. There's a bomb scare the same day that, you know, he's he's in court. Very Lex Lutherish. <laughs> Powerful man. Okay. In a small town, has all the connections, and he's on trial, and something happens while that's going on. So, at any rate. Um, that's what I thought of the other day, but, um, yeah, I was, I, I wasn't too surprised, uh, because it's the, t- you know, it's like very typical Lex Lutherish type thing to happen. And you kind of know that he's going to get out of it in some way. Uh, I will say this about his interactions. I don't, I find Lex Luthor most uh, imposing and scary when he's not, when he's not worked up or angry. So there's a few panels where he's like, you know, he's yelling and he's arguing, um, like whether it's at Superman or, um, uh, right before he gets into the limousine, they pull away, uh, during that whole interaction about like the ring and everything like that. And he's all fired up. I don't like when he's yelling because it shows his weakness. So, when he is cool, calm, collected, and he's got his plan buttoned up, I find that to be like the best Lex that there can be. Like when he showed up after, you know, dying and he's got his, he's buffed out in his polo shirt and he's just totally chill. I'm like, that's it. That's, that's Lex Luthor. So, you know, you either has like the black suit and the purple tie or, you know, some version thereof. So. Yeah, the cool, calm, collected Lex. There, there is something that is, uh, you know, very imposing and 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 chilling about that, right? It, it, yeah. it is, it is far more very. effective. I agree than than if he's fired up. Uh, you know, so essentially, the way that he's able to 
to beat the rap on this. And he enlists this top attorney, Drysdale, right? This top attorney on, on the East Coast. Yeah. Interesting arc for that for that lawyer, right? Because he's the one we talked about the scene where Superman, you know, lands the plane, right? And the lawyer witnesses all of this and is very inspired by by what Superman does. And we get the sense that he actually believes Lex's uh, the the concocted story that Lex comes up with, right, for his defense. Like the lawyer believes that, and then Lex, you know, fills him in on everything after the fact. And it's like this this guy like sold his soul, right? And he's just so demoralized. It's like another life <laughs> crushed by Luther. But essentially the story that that Lex and his team present in court is that uh, he was dying of radiation poisoning, but it was Happerson, right, who went rogue and abducted him and subjected Lex to this, uh, you know, experimental revolutionary cure, right? Um, and that in the meantime created this clone. And it was the clone who did all the bad stuff and they parade this shriveled out, you know, uh, you know, maniacal right. cackling clone into the courtroom and everyone is just taken aback and, uh, you know, pending DNA tests, the, <laughs> the judge feels that's enough <laughs> to dismiss the charges. So they pin it all on Happerson who Lex is taking care of. And this clone created expressly for the purpose of this courtroom appearance it's kind of brilliant in its simplicity. Well, it is. The clone. I mean, when in doubt, whip out the clone. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it has become a, a very much of a comic book trope, you know, clones, variants, uh, alternate versions of people. Um, I think they leaned into the clone stuff a little too much though. in in, in this period of time, like, all right, that's enough with the clones. But then again, you know, he clones Superboy, he clones Bizarro, and, you know, so. Yeah, a lot of clones thing. just in these titles, let alone, of course, what was going on over in the Spider-Man books and, and even on the right. Lois and Clark TV series with that whole that whole clone arc, which we talked about last oh, year. Yeah. So, yeah, there, there was a lot of that, but it worked. I mean, it was one of those, like, I don't know. And Mark Wade wrote that issue. He guest wrote that issue. I forget the exact uh, title and issue number, but... Uh, it, I thought it was very strong. It was just one of those things where it felt appropriate, right? Like it was, it was sort of outlandish and in all the best comic book ways, yet brilliant in its simplicity, and you know leaves you feeling kind of like frustrated on Superman's behalf, right? Like Lex didn't meet justice, but it also kind of made sense, right? That this would be enough yeah. to, uh, you know, to you know cast enough doubt at least. So, right, you know, I, th I thought that played out well, and then. You know, you see Lex, you know, Lex making his moves. And in particular, we have this, this new version of Intergang. I, we at least mentioned them last time. I don't know how specific we got, but essentially Dabney Donovan, right? The rogue Cadmus scientist has been cloning these 30s and 40s gangsters, right? So they're running around in right. new bodies with powers and, uh, and and they're running the town and they kidnap one of Lex's, they've been stealing Lex, um, LexCorp technology and they kidnap one of his scientists and, you know, set up a, an exchange. And, you know, Lex comes with his bodyguards who are quickly gunned down. And it's like Lex just standing there defenseless against Boss Moxie, right? The young clone body of this notorious gangster. And and this is where, and, but I, I think this still tracks with what you said, right? Because it's not a matter of Lex yelling at him. Lex physically dominates him. And I feel like th this is my ultimately my preferred version, the initial post-crisis burn iteration of the character where he was 
less fit. Um, mm-hmm. I think certainly made sense in terms of you know what they were going for at the time, but I do like the yeah. more imposing, more physically imposing Lex uh, because you get a moment like this where it's like, yes, he can outthink you, outstrategize, outmaneuver. There's all of that. He can pay everybody off, but like when it comes to it, he can also kick your ass and he does. Right. And I thought, I thought that was such a great sequence. He is, he, he's, he's a Batman. Yeah. Well, I mean, quite honestly, I mean, he has all the same. Well, I mean, I think that they've made this point, you know, they, they're very similar lives, you know, uh, both rich. They have all the resources at their disposal. Just one took a different path than the other. Um, and they're both physically imposing. I mean, I guess, you know, obviously Batman more so, but you know, when it comes down to it, the, you know, Lex can hold his own in a fight. Um, you know, he's got all the tech so he can make amazing suits and things like that. So, you know, there's a lot of similarities there, but yeah, Lex is a very physical, you know, imposing character when need be. He just doesn't need to be. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I've spoken before about how no man's land got me into reading Batman comics and remains one of my favorite Batman stories. And, you know, culminates in that showdown between them as Lex swoops in and tries to buy up Gotham uh, as, as the no man's land is ending. And it's, it's like, it just makes, it makes perfect sense. Oh, it's yeah. so good. And not too long after this, actually at all. Yeah, that's right. Years, yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's when I started getting into Batman more so um, at the time. You know, it, I think that's the thing. It's funny as we're talking about these Superman comics as we're in, you know, late 97 now heading into early 90s. It's like we're not that far removed. Again, the Morrison JLA stuff is running now. We're getting close to Batman No Man's Land. And even like I said, you know, All-Star Superman what starts in what, 2005. It's like we're not we're not that far away from these stories. It's, yeah. uh, you know, just kind of thinking about the context of it. Yeah. And I remember, so we got closer and closer to 2000 the year 2000 fears. So year 2000 is creeping up on us. And, you know, what does that hold? And why 2K was a thing? And at least as it pertained to Superman comics, we're like, okay, we're going to bring in Brainiac and he's going to be computer rendered because <laughs> that's going to be interesting. And it wasn't. But, you know, it was a cool version nonetheless. Yeah, I, I I will always have a soft spot for that Y2K story, but yeah, I even as a even as a kid reading that, I was like, I don't really like this this the computer generated uh, Brainiac imagery here, but no, no. Uh, but that storyline I mean, overall look, it was solid. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, but yeah, no, I know it is funny thing, and kind of on that note, you know, we mentioned the Millennium Giants. We do the seeds for that are planted in these issues where archaeologists right across the world are, are uncovering unearthing these dragon's teeth. Right. And all the legend that's associated with those and these uh, heralds of the Millennium Giants come forth and they identify Superman as this anomaly, this power source. And uh, they're able to track him down when he's Clark. They're at Lois and Clark at this costume party dressed up as Batman and Robin. And yeah. uh, and they take him and Lois is like, oh, they must have taken him because they think he's Batman. <laughs> Uh, but I did appreciate, even though I'm kind of dreading the Millennium Giants a little bit, I did, I did appreciate that that's being seeded now throughout, right? It wasn't something that just kind of like came out of nowhere. We were building to that. Right. But yeah, to your point, yeah, a lot of mentions of the fact that we are approaching the the, the next millennium. And it's like, the, yeah, that, again, so much time has passed. But I, I mean, I, even as a kid, I do remember, like, it was a big thing. And it's, everyone, you know, it's like everyone was, and especially as we got closer in the whole Y2K craze, 
uh, came about. So it definitely was a little bit of a time time warp reading these issues. <laughs> yeah, I I and you tell me if you notice this. So like, you know, as you read these um, these stories, and you know, it kind of follows the pattern that most, if not Superman, a lot of the you know tentpole characters go through. They expand and contract, especially they contract at these pivotal, you know, milestone issues. So we had, uh, we were creeping up to, what is it, 80th anniversary of Superman? Now we're in the 85th? The Now, now we're in the 85th, yeah. but the, what was the issue? Was it, oh, crap, no, it was 60, right? 60 years? So with when, Superman Forever? The, yes. Yes, that was 60. That was 60, Okay. So, you know, obviously they wanted to have everything kind of familiar back to the way it was. So, okay, Jimmy Olsen was professionally, he was kind of growing, but they need to rein him back in. Okay. And then they're going to make all these other characters kind of go away for a little while, all these ancillary characters. And then obviously Superman with his powers and all that sort of thing. So, it all just expands and contracts and comes back to normal for a period of time and then blows up again. So, yeah, it's true. It's like the more time we spend with this, the more, you know, more, the more you see that play out. I mean, very recently we talked about talking about current events in the Superman books. We covered uh, Action Ten Fifty, which you know, you know, put that genie back in the bottle as far as the the secret identity. <laughs> and it's like you know, I was even though it was kind of irrelevant since Superman was off world for almost the entire time that his identity was public, <laughs> which is right. fine, fine by me. I, I was not a fan of that uh, revelation, but, but yeah, it's like, you know, we're, we're, you know, kind of, uh, you know, uh, centering back right on, on our status quo. But yeah, I mean, I, you'd, and they, uh, Jurgens even mentioned that in that interview, uh, or maybe that even came up in, um, no, I think that came up in uh, old wizard uh, articles that I read where they were interviewing the creative teams about the electric saga. And one of them even mentioned like, we you know we're coming up on the 60th anniversary and you know, they didn't say it explicitly, but basically it was like, Hey, yeah. you know, things will be okay by the time we get there. So uh, that's certainly how, how it played out. Uh, as far as, you know, as far as the Lex of it all goes, I guess the other major, major development. And again, Superman number 131 by Jurgens and friends. Like if you read one, one issue from this, if you honestly, I would say the Batman issue with the Kryptonite ring and Superman One Thirty One for me were probably my two favorite single issues. Uh, Adventures, what was it? Five Fifty, the anniversary issue. That was that was a solid one too. I thought. Yeah, and uh, the uh, Mixie issue. I was not as it's into that. Fun. I know I was not as into that, but I, I get I get I, the, I, I get I can the understand appeal. That the, the art was. <laughs> not good um, for reasons we've discussed in the past, but I always find that character fun as hell because it just pokes at fun at things that happened previously. I, I, you know, in, in that issue's defense, so it was man of steel 75. So playing up on the 75 significance, mm -hmm. right? Uh, yeah. They hold, they did the whole death of mixing. You look at the cover and it's a, it's a play on Superman 75. Right. And so instead of Superman's cape, it's Mixie's underwear. It's like, it's fun. Right. It's fun. Uh, so I appreciated, you know, uh, sort of making the most out of the significance of the number. The other thing too, though, to the issue's credit, at, at least we got Mixie, at least we got a recognizable core traditional Superman villain. And I, I've talked right. about this before. I really do admire the fact that, that these creators try to add 
They really tried to expand the rogues gallery. At the same time, Ripper, Savior, Barrage, Rock, Misa, like a lot of these characters that that get played during these issues that we read. I mean, I, I don't know how you, were there any of these new villains that really popped for you or were you sort of like, no, no, <laughs> no none of them, none of them really popped. And, um, they, their designs, I didn't find them to be too original. They seem to be, um, like alternate versions of other characters. And I, I, I'm bad with names, but there's one, Mainframe, is it? No, oh, not yeah. mainframe. I mean, he is one, but uh, there's one of them that has a very similar look to Darkseid. He's got the headpiece around his head, bulky armor, and, you know, it's it's derivative of other characters, I thought. So, you know, they're nothing really, none of these villains really jumped out at me as any with real staying power. I mean, Savior was the only one that's been around you know, for a few years now, and he just keeps rehashing the same nonsense. Um, but I will say that him being in the issue that he was kind of made a little bit more sense because, you know, he sees Superman in his uh, current state and then scorn in Superman's outfit. And he, Oh, you guys are just, you know, imposters. Oh, if that's how you're going to be. I can look that way too. And, you know, all of a sudden he thinks up a new funky outfit. So, you know, um, it it didn't bother me so much as it did in the past. Yeah, fair enough. And that the savior thing, yeah, like with the two deceivers as he calls them. That, yeah, that, yes. that, that certainly certainly worked well enough. But yeah, I mean, I think it probably says a lot that these villains have not stood the test of time. No, right? If there were if there were more to work with, there, I'm sure they'd be dusted off and 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 utilized again. And that that hasn't happened. And so, I, I guess. And like I said, I don't, I don't mean to, you know, be piling on here. I, I really do want to stress, I enjoyed the reading I, and that's the thing I, that, I too. that overall, and I've said this a lot. I mean, other times I've said in the context of really enjoying it here, you know, there were, there were some, some roadblocks to total enjoyment, but like these books, the level of consistency that these creative teams had and, and cohesiveness right across the books, they, they were always very readable in, you know, you know, to varying degrees, but always enjoyable to some extent. And and there were there were very few instances where I was like, oh man, that issue was such a slog to get through. Almost never, right? Right. In terms of how compelling they were, it it varied. And I just think that in this round of issues in particular, it was just kind of a tough mix of getting a little bit sick of the explanation of the new powers and so much time with characters like Scorn and Ashbury. And the fact that almost all of the villains were from this newer, less, less effective crop. I think, you know, one of those things by itself would have been, but I think it was the fact that a lot of those things were kind of swirling around, Mm -hmm. you know, sort of hindered the enjoyment a little bit, but you know, they're still very readable. They were, you know, they, they, I I would still recommend this era to someone, um, maybe not someone starting from scratch as a Superman fan, but you know, for someone who is any level of Superman fan and like hasn't mined this 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 period of the character's history, I would still recommend it. So. Absolutely, it's it. Look, Superman is great, and like you said, we are looking at it through different lens than we did originally. Um, I know that at the time, for as much as I didn't particularly wasn't my favorite period, 
I was literally rushing to get the next issue. I wanted to see what was going to happen, as does everyone who's a comic book fan. And, you know, whether you hate or love the current storyline, you want to see what's going to happen next. So, you know, now I look at it as one big cohesive story that I can read, you know, in a week versus over months. Um, and, you know, I, I enjoy reading it, but now I could sit back and kind of analyze it a little bit more. It's like, when, you know, I, I equate it to when I see any comic book movie. The first viewing is always like, for the most part, like, oh, this is cool. And then it's usually my drive home where I'm thinking about it. And I'm like, huh, not so much. Or like my second viewing. And I'm I'm like, this is kind of not making sense. Like, why is this? And they made some decisions here that weren't right, you know? So that's kind of how I equate it to. And of course, now I'm much older. I'm like, oh, stupid man. <laughs> yeah now it's like it's uh yeah I, I don't find myself getting as worked up about about too much uh you know as as often these days because it's yeah I don't know, other things to worry about i guess and it's just sort of like yeah you know it'll be right. we've been like down these roads so many times where it's like eh, it'll be okay <laughs> yeah, exactly and look this is a character at this point at least that had been around for 60 years you know how do you make you know, fresh, new, you know, groundbreaking issues. It's hard. It's hard. I don't care, you know, who, I mean, that, you know, who's the writer or the artist. It's not easy. And I'm sure anyone who's writing them now is, you know, I will say there's, you know, some pretty good writers rocking it now, but I'm sure it's intimidating for them. And and in fairness, uh, I, I mean, I agree. I think the books currently are as, as strong as they've been in a really, really long time. Uh, yeah. Really liking Philip Kennedy Johnson on action. Yeah. As of this recording, I'm really excited to see what Josh Williamson does on the Superman title. Uh, big fan of Tom Taylor. I just read all of Son of Kal-El. I'm looking forward to the new John Ken series. So there's great stuff. But, you know, in, in, in fairness, I guess, to the 90s creators, uh, you know, like the current creators do have the benefit of they're doing great work, but they do have the benefit of John Kent, right? Like this is this major yes. forward movement in the mythology. There's new, there's new material to explore here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, kind of rolling it back to, to the mid to late nineties here where, you know, we're in the status quo and it's like within that, what can you do? He has to be married off the characters and that gives us some, some new angles to play, but really on that week to week basis, it's like, yeah, you gotta, you gotta come up with stuff. I really, if this story had been, 12 issues or even 20 issues. <laughs> I, yeah. I think it would be, it would have played out a lot differently. And I think it would have been more effective and would be remembered more fondly. I, I think it was just mm-hmm. like Jurgen said in the interview, I think it just, it went on, it went on a little bit too long, got a little bit unwieldy without really enough places to go. But I, I want to, I just, before we sort of wind down, uh, I know we've touched on the Jimmy Olsen of it all. Uh, but I mean, what, what did you make of, of his fall from grace here? He really, uh, he really has, you know, you, you feel for the, or I don't know, do you feel for the character? Cause there are points where it might be hard to have some sympathy for him. I don't feel f- for Jim. No, um, <laughs> I, Jimmy is a polarizing character. Um, so, you know, Jimmy has a place in Superman history and it's more or less been the same forever and with some you know tweaks here and there 
So I was kind of liking the fact that they were making him a little bit more of a serious character. He's like, I'm going to be like, you know, the hard hitting reporter. I'm going to, I'm going to get my story and it's going to be on the news. And that's what, no. Okay. Get, go back to <laughs> taking pictures, buddy. You know, like it's um, yeah, I was, I was bummed to see the character, you know, again, gaining momentum and then lose it um, for as much as I find him to be goofy as all sin. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I like to see characters evolve and change a bit, which is why I think the new stuff is really cool because in the period of time that John Kent has been around, he's grown quite a bit. So um, I, re- I like to see that happen with characters and, you know, he had Jimmy had that. So to see him, you know, to see him lose it, it's it's a bummer, but like you kind of know, like he's a core character. He has his place. So so for as much as they're going to change him, make him grow, he at some point he's going back to his, you know, his uh, spot in ranking. Yes, very true. And, you know, the other thing that I I know we're building towards is Lex buying and closing the Daily Planet. Mm-hmm. So, so that's still to come. And if memory serves, I think Jimmy gets his job back, and then like almost instantly the planet is is shut if i'm remembering correctly but we'll, we'll we'll get there but i i enjoyed i really did enjoy his arc here um i, I didn't I, I you know i've always been a jimmy fan and i liked that i just felt like it was kind of interesting like more sophisticated material to to sort of uh dive into with him so mm-hmm. uh, in the last episode we talked about um Jimmy's report on Superman's new powers, which Metallo used to his advantage in battle. Uh, so, you know, we have that as sort of our background here. Again, he's Mr. Action. He's on air reporting for GBS, reporting to Cat Grant, who not a great influence. You know, I, I typically I've, I've been a fan and a defender of Cat. I don't know. Maybe to some extent she's looking out for Jimmy, but I don't know. I feel like in these issues in particular, uh, I don't, I don't think she's a great influence and I don't think she's looking out for him. Uh, so much. I don't, I wouldn't say so. No, no, I don't, I don't, at least I don't really see that happening so much. Um, but she's another one of those like ancillary characters that doesn't really get, she hasn't really had much room to, to spread her wings so much in this, um, in this set of stories. Yeah, you know, I mean, look, it ebbs and flows with all of them. Uh, you know, we talked about it. I always felt that uh, her, the loss of her son, right, I felt like they they could and should have done more with her in the aftermath of that. Uh, yeah. And then later on, you know, to see her to see her at GBS and to see her contending with, uh, you know, the, the, the sexual harassment, right, of Vinny Edge and then ousting him and all. Like, that was a great moment for her. Again, I don't know how great she comes off in, in this round of issues. And so, I don't know. I think it's it's uh, not not consistent necessarily, I guess, when it comes to her character. But I, I, I do still remain a fan generally. But yeah, I mean, as far as Jim, so heading into this, you know, he's he's kind of grappling with the fact that he hurt his pal, right, through his report. But, you know, Kat tells him like the ratings were, you know, the, you know, the ratings were there. People are excited. They're going to air the interview, the actual interview with Hamilton talking about the powers. Um, and so, you know, this kind of snowballs to the point where Bibbo Babowski clocks Jimmy on the air, right? And then poor Bibbo, so so racked with guilt over this uh, for using his his abilities 
uh, <clears throat> to fight someone who didn't ask for it, uh, renounces his heavyweight title uh, in, in the boxing world. I love, I will always love Bibbo. Uh, and then Jim's next big idea is, uh, you know, he mentioned that fire that intergang sets at uh, Lois and mm-hmm. Clark's apartment building. And so, you know, he gets this shot of uh, one of the other residents in the building who's a former football player carrying Clark out of the building. And Colin Thornton, who we know is, is Satanus, he's standing there. Um, and Jim takes his photo. And, you know, we come to learn Jim is convinced that one of these guys is Superman. And he's going to have this special report revealing the identity to the world. And this is one of those things talking about like memories of, of being a kid. I remember like this came right back. To, I remember being a kid and reading this and being like, who does Jimmy think it is? <laughs> like, I was really, I was really pulled into this as a kid. Uh, spoiler alert. He thinks it's Colin Thornton, uh, which is uh, amazing. And he's about to open the, um, that was the panel where he's about to open the the phone booth. And it it were it was it that one or maybe I got it mixed up, but I know there is one where he's about to like blow the you know kind of you know re- reveal the the identity of Superman, and he goes to open up the um, the the telephone booth door, and it was um, uh, what's his name Christ, so bad with names. One of the three contenders, Just, or yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, so I forget the football player's name, and then Colin Thornton. Yeah, I think no, I think it was Colin Thornton, and he was like, "Oh, but it was," and he thought it was like Clark, you know, and he's like, "Oh no, no," but yeah, yeah, and so I guess what I appreciated about this was that he did struggle with this a little bit, right? He went to Lois and Clark. You know, he doesn't tell them what what the what it, the the exact context of the dilemma is, but basically, right. like, I have this big story. What should I do? And they basically encourage him to do it. I mean, you know, I don't know. I do feel for, I do feel for Jim to an extent in all of this. I, I, you know, I think he is being jerked around a bit and, and especially at GBS, like he's being pushed in this direction. And I think, you know, when he seeks out the council, right, of people he respects, uh, you know, yes, he's not painting the full picture for them, I, I suppose, but, you know, still at the heart of it, it's like he has newsworthy information. What should he do with it? You know, and they give him the advice and he, you know, perceives. You should run with it, Jim. It's your duty as a reporter to report the news. By the way, I'm going to ruin your life with this news. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, you do feel for him for a bit. And ultimately what I, what I love the most is that he, he does come around, right. And he doesn't go through with it because you know, he invites the three contenders on onto the program and he's interviewing Clark about Superman. And, you know, Clark's talking about what what Superman means, what Superman represents, the fact that Superman doesn't do what he does for the recognition, right? It's just to help. And if there's anything that would hurt someone, he won't do it. <laughs> and that really gets through to Jim. And so he, you know, Jim throws, throws the special and he's like, the secret is Superman has no secret identity. And that ends his career like he's fired. So you know, he, he does the right thing in the end. Um, Mm -hmm. I did like that in the, in the opening sequence of his special, it's, uh, taken, uh, verbatim, but you know, tweaked for the, for the, for the modern, uh, era, uh, the opening from the adventures of Superman, uh, TV series, right down to Superman standing there, you know, in space on the very, very cool. I was happy to see that. I don't buy that the network wouldn't know what he was going to reveal. Right. Yeah, that would never, <laughs> never, ever, ever happen. Like they would, 
in no world would that ever happen. I mean, that would have like everyone up the chain would have seen that at some point a few times and discussed it. I mean, look, you know, law, you know, that's not how it would happen. So, I mean, every lawyer in the building who has read any law book would have been like, are we sure? (laughs) And if you don't report this, you're dead. You know, like that's basically, you know, they wouldn't just, it's not like, you know, like, Oh, I have the scoop and we don't have time to, to review it. Like go live. Like, well, what are you saying? Like, Oh, I'm going to tell you that J. Edgar Hoover is actually gay and we're going to announce it. Like what? Yeah. Like that was just, I, you know, I, I could not buy that. Um, I mean, like I said, I, I like that they gave him this crisis of conscience and that he ultimately does the right thing. And again, he loses his job and then inner gang comes after him and he hits the road. Bibbo is like, take my motorcycle. He's leaving town. And that's when he gets mixed up with the, the wild area and that whole crew. But, um, but on the other hand, is it a bridge too far? Like, can you forgive, can you forgive Jimmy for, for being willing, not, I mean, more than willing, like eager to reveal what he thought was Superman's secret identity. Cause again, it's one thing that initial report about Superman's new powers, right? Like he didn't realize the effect that that was having, that Metallo was using it. So I can, you know, you can chalk that up to, all right, it was, he was ignorant. He got caught up. But this, I don't know. I have been defending Jimmy, but I don't know. That's, that's a little tough to get past. I don't think I could. I don't think I could only because you know the type of character Jimmy is. He has stood by Clark and Superman, not knowing who each, you know, that they are the same person over the years. He's like, he's quite literally put his life on the line for either one of them. So for him to have some, you know, change of conscience and be willing to turn them in, so to speak, and reveal their secret identity. I, I, I couldn't, I wouldn't forgive a character like that. If it were any other character, it would totally make sense, but it doesn't make sense for him. You know, like he is, you know, Superman's pal, Jimmy Olsen, you know, like he's got the secret watch. So, you know, he will, you know, Superman doesn't give that to everyone. So it, 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 it would be very much out of character for him to do that. If they were to do that, it would have to be some, they would have to change the character in such a way where it's not just a, you know, his career is building up, you know, it's not like he got a promotion. They would have to change the core of the character, which they didn't do. You know, they just gave him a different job, but they would have to be like a la Ted Lasso, where, you know, Nate was Ted Lasso's, you know, like, like little, like pet you know, loved him to death and basically changed on a dime because he felt he was getting the short end of the stick. And now he's like the quote unquote villain. So you know, they would have to do that to Jimmy Olsen to make him really do that. And, you know, for him to do it and not do that, it would be, you couldn't forgive him. Agreed. I, you know, the other thing, uh, it's the last thing I'll say on, on, on Jimmy uh, as, as we wrap up is, it would have been interesting if he had thought Clark was Superman because like it's hard enough to get past uh, that he would reveal Superman's identity at all, right? Because he he has this relationship with Superman. 
it's it's so that in and of itself might just be unforgivable, but it's a little bit it's a little bit more understandable if he thinks it's Colin Thornton, right? He does not have that relationship with Colin. Like there's no loyalty right. to that person. I do wonder what he would have done. And I hope that he wouldn't have even entertained it at all if he had thought Clark was Superman. Because now it's not just, oh, the Superman of it all. It's like, well, he also has a relationship with the person on the other side of Superman. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, it would have been interesting to see like what he would have done in that, in that kind of instance. But I don't know. Overall, I, I liked, I was happy to see Jimmy get this play. And like I said, between Jimmy and Lex, I thought that was, that was kind of where this batch of issues was, was the strongest. Like we were f- focusing on the characters that, you know, we kind of care the most about. And I, and I think mm-hmm. that, you know, they had some, some interesting stuff to do. And uh, th- I think those were the highlights for me. Is there anything else we have not talked about uh, either big picture or specific issues or moments or anything like that we haven't talked about that you wanted to? Uh, no, we discussed my man of tomorrow issue, which I adore. Um, no, not so much. Cause the next, uh, it, it's at in the next, uh, section of stories where we get Maxima. Um, just cause I like that character. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I always enjoyed, uh, you know, her in the stories. She was always interesting to throw in there. Uh, but I think, I don't know. I think everything that we've discussed is kind of what I had in mind here. Um, yeah, Parasite, Cyborg. And then in my notes, I had um, Adam, Mixopic, and uh, yeah, Batman. So yeah. Right on. Well, listen, I know this was not, uh, well, not as long, I guess, as the last reading assignment, but uh, still a decent amount, a decent amount of issues. So I, I do appreciate you reading uh, and, and coming on and having this conversation. I really enjoyed it. It's you know going back to these issues for the first time, right, since I was a kid, and and especially this period. Uh, and just kind of reevaluating it. Uh, it. It's it's been a fascinating process. And again, we're not we're far from done, but I think this sort of brings to a close. You know, the first major uh, round, certainly of of the Electric Superman saga. And there's still more to go as far as the late '90s period in the Triangle era. But uh, fascinating, just a fascinating process. And I think like, I feel like I have a good handle on this on this era now in a way that I didn't before where I, you know, I know what I liked, but I also know where I think this sort of fell apart a little bit. And, you know, we, we, we talked about it, but, uh, yeah, just always, always kind of, uh, interesting to, to dive back in. So I thank you very much. Oh, my pleasure. I, I got to kind of revisit the gimmicky covers again. So, you know, we were during the nineties, crazy covers were a big thing, you know, variants and, chrome and lenticular versions and and whatnot and then it kind of chilled out for a while but this series there was a lot of different types of like gimmicky versions so we had like the you know the headshots uh we had the glow in the dark obviously the main glow in the dark issue where his powers change a debut of that um, we had a lot of plays on old themes of covers, which I appreciated, like Scorn in the classic action comics cover. And then obviously where he splits and it's that was a, a 3D, um, you know, you know, the th- red and blue 3D, which is always terrible uh, version. So, um, you know, scanning through those those versions of the gimmicky covers, I always get a kick out of. And showing my son, he was like, what is this about daddy? <laughs> <laughs> it's funny you say that because I, 
like I said, I've been reading on my iPad. And so, so my, my three and a half year old, he's seen me reading a, a bunch of times and uh, he's been very interested, which delights me to no end. And yeah. like, we've scrolled through a few issues and it's just, he's like, who is that? I'm like, that's Superman. He's like, why is he blue? And I'm like, Oh God, buddy. <laughs> Where right. <do> I start. <laughs> yeah. Well, you see, <laughs> he was in the sun. That's all you need to know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He Uncle, got a really yeah. bad sunburn. And Uncle Joe said he was in the sun, and that's what happened. So <laughs> yeah. <it's fine. laughs> yeah, and I, I think you're in a really great point being a father, and you can, because I went through the same thing with my son, is just opening up his eyes to all that is Superman and uh, hoping to God he appreciates it. There's definitely that recognition and that excitement when he sees the character. And so we will, we will try to nurture that, uh, you yeah. know, but with a very light touch, it's like, I, if he, you know, very light touch, it's, don't it's, do yeah. like I did. <laughs> don't overwhelm him because he'll just go Marvel on your ass. Oh, <laughs> man. <laughs> he is all Spider-Man, which is fine. Yes. Don't get me wrong. It's fine. But, um, you know, I was always like, how about Superman? How about Superman? You want to watch Superman? You want to listen to Superman? What is like, no, can you put on Spider-Verse again? I'm like, okay. <laughs> Just as a side note, because I mentioned this last week too, uh, my Superman red electric Funko Pop came. So if you, for people who are on YouTube, if you look over my shoulder, I, n- I now have both of them. So uh, they're, they're, the set awesome. is there. And when we dive into Superman red and blue in a couple of episodes, uh, it'll be appropriate for that. So Dollar Bin Bandits podcast available on yes. YouTube, on all major podcast platforms, on social media. You guys interview yeah. veteran comics creators, uh, really in-depth conversations with people who, you know, maybe haven't necessarily had the spotlight on them recently, right? But have contributed so much to these characters and books that we love so much. Is there anything in particular you want to share? Any any recent or upcoming episodes that you want to direct people to? I am. So we have our our calendar pretty um planned out in advance till around april and we have some really great guests coming on uh we just found out uh we're going to be after probably a year and a half trying to get them gonna have larry hama on our show we're also and i as i say this i'm still getting goosebumps we're gonna have jeff johns on oh dude you have i i damn it i just said it and i gave myself goosebumps i am Beyond excited. We haven't interviewed him yet, um, but it's in, it's it's on the schedule. That's a big uh, get, man. March. Congrats. Holy crap. Ed, you have no idea. Um, I am beyond thrilled for that. So I'm making sure I just green lantern the hell out of my back shelf here. But um, yeah, that's a that's a big one. Uh, we also have a couple of um, quote unquote panels. We're going to have Ron Lim and Ron Friends. Um, no, I'm sorry. Um, Hey, Ron Lim and Ron Friends on again. Uh, and we have a bigger panel planned for April, but um, I can't really say it because until it actually comes together. But uh, the goal is to have, we're having four creators on in addition to the three of us. So that's going to either go really, really well or not at all. So we'll see. Well, I'm sure it'll be great. Well, I, I can't wait to check them out. Kudos on on uh, what you've done and what you have lined up. I hope people people will check out Dollar Bin Bandits. And we mentioned this when you were on the show before, but you've had a bunch of the Superman creators whose work we have discussed. Yes. You know, you've had them on. So I hope people uh, will check out the show generally, and in particular, especially for 
our, our Superman fans who are listening here uh, will check out those, uh, the Superman creator interviews in particular. Thank you. Thank you. And please, hey, keep doing all your awesome Superman work beyond just the triangle era. I mean, I keep spreading the word about what you do. I love Superman, but your appreciation and fondness and love for Superman just trumps anything I've ever seen. So keep kicking the ass and doing the Lord's work, as they say. It's very kind. I appreciate that. I I continue to love doing this. And so (laughs) as long as I do, we'll we'll, we'll keep going. So uh, so thank you. I wish I had the time to devote to do it as much as you do. It's yeah, it's, it's become a lot to juggle, but it's I as with anything, it's like when you you know when the the passion is there, it's like you make it work, yeah. right? And that's and that's the thing. And so, uh, yeah, we will uh, we'll uh, keep this never ending battle going. So uh, so again, awesome. thank you very much. Thank you, audience. As always, always appreciate you tuning in. Make sure you come back next week for part three of Electric to One Million. Until then, as always, it's about what you do. It's about action. This show is part of the Flat Squirrel Podcast Network, home to Digging for Kryptonite, another exciting episode in The Adventures of Superman, Summoning the Zords, and My Comic Shop History, available wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review today. Sign up at patreon.com slash anthonydesiato for additional content. Thank you all.